Hello, everyone. Uh, Robert Starmer here with Cumulus Technologies, and uh, we're bringing you another episode of the Cumulus Technologies 5 Minutes of Cloud podcast. Uh, I'm joined with our fabulous co-host, Lou Tucker. How do you do? Hey, Lou. Uh, so today we're going to discuss, wait for it, cloud computing, of course. I mean, what else would we discuss here? Um, but we're really going to focus on uh, a concerning trend that, that we're sort of seeing, and that is customers are really confused about how they ensure that their cloud resources are secure. Right. So I really want to know, what can I do to ensure that my cloud is as secure as possible? And from that perspective, really, we want to talk about the security perimeter and this idea of zero trust, right? So, uh, you know, from that perspective, then I think the number one question is what, what the heck are we talking about here? What is the perimeter? Where did this really come from? Right. Yeah. This... Well, well, I think historically, I mean, people have always approached networking as well. The whole purpose of networking is in fact to connect things. So right. you want to be able to have multiple servers and services talk to each other and users talk to those services. Um, but once you do then that, you're, you do, you know, open it up onto the network, then people look to apply kind of firewall rules to limit the access or right. to break a network up into separate VLANs so that their financial systems were kept separate from their HR systems or their developer systems. Um, and that network security model, which is a perimeter-based model, Right. Um, worked for a while, but once you you started to, and particularly when you start connecting now your data centers to the cloud, that perimeter model just doesn't work. And you right. can't rely upon the network alone to in, enforce the kind of security you need. Well, in a sense, you've expanded the perimeter into this cloud, this third entity space. And like AWS has security groups, which are sort of little, little tiny perimeters at the yeah. edge of an instance, right? a single VM or a single compute resource of some kind has that, that security group concept. Um, but, you know, that's, that's, that's just one of the many ways of trying right. to address this and, and expand this perimeter. Yeah. But I think we both know that that only goes so far. Yeah. Right? Classically, some of the big data centers that, that uh, we both interacted with, it's exactly what you do. You'd set up your firewall, you might have segregation, but a lot of the companies I worked with, they had firewalls at the edge, or they had firewalls at the edge of their entire corporate entity, even. Right. And everything else was basically wide open. I mean, right. so. so and, and I particularly, mean, you know, today that we see a big movement towards working from home, you want to be able to have uh, some of your key employees working from their own home networks and everything else and accessing now corporate resources over the internet. So immediately you have. A, a conduit by which um, malware and spyware and, and, and bad actors can break into the weakest link in that and get into all of the corporate assets. Right. I mean, people would set up a VPN. So now your laptop and potentially your bring your own device device mm -hmm. is now part of that same bubble, right? So that same bubble that's reached out into Amazon or Google or what have you. Um, but that device potentially has its own security flaws. Right, so the you know, I mean, we, we've 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 previously talked about um, other issues or other other concerns. You know, people have talked about like some of the big breaches. Um, you know, the the two that I think we talked about recently, one was uh, one was Target uh, and and mm -hmm. its you know massive loss because somebody was able to get inside that perimeter. Right? Exactly. 
Um, and then there was uh, the solar winds had their their flaw where one of their employees broke their tools so that they could effectively get access to anybody that was using that platform as a way of defining their perimeter. Yeah. And therefore all of solar winds customers exactly. were then at risk. Right. So, so you really need to con constrain what, you know, the the attack surface. That's what we yeah, right. talk about in security <laughs> right. terms. And when you get more and more systems involved and more and more your systems connected to your partner's systems, connected to your supplier's systems, uh, it becomes totally unenforceable at the at the networking level. Right. And and even at the at the edge device level, right? You can incorporate that device in through a VPN, but you've still given effectively the entire infrastructure of that device access to your corporate network. So right. what what are we what are we doing to address that? How how have we addressed that in the industry today? What's the what's the tooling that we're talking about, right? Which is effectively what's well, the I think <laughs> I think the trend the trend we're seeing today is something that essentially was um you know really promoted by Google many years ago. And it started something called Beyond Corp, and now people talk about it as zero trust. And right. what this really means is forget it. Don't trust anything. Have no trust in in just somebody being on your network. So that they assume that there's going to be bad actors on the networks themselves. And instead what you really have to rely upon is being able to authenticate who's accessing or what service is accessing things. And in front of every application, you have to have a way to check those credentials and everything else to protect the resources themselves, leaving aside the network, because the network, you have to assume a bad actor could get onto it. Right, so if you're if you're now protecting effectively at the application level, right? The, the I think for a client, right. the classic application now is a web browser and, and given the way web browsers work today, it's actually the, the the individual tab within the web browser that that little virtual machine is the thing that we can now authenticate and create an identity. Mm -hmm. But I mean, classically, identity is username password, right? I mean, so is that adequate? Is that the kind of identity we're talking about here? Yeah. You know, how do you yes, no, it? I still think that's <laughs> almost the weakest link in what we do with, with social engineering, uh, people's. Uh, very weak passwords that they use. We've moved now to two-factor authentication, right. either through advices or another or a secondary device, another computer or a phone or some other thing, to to improve the the ability to have an identity that you can trust. Right. Um, right. So now that we have a known identity, but I think you know, so two-factor authenticated. The yes. other part is still how do I then authorize that user? Right. So how to make the connection. Username, password, yes, it's still a weak link. And now there's some work going on in terms of like passwordless authentication, which is still a two-factor, a multi-factor authentication. You're still mm -hmm. trying to authenticate the device and the user together, right? So there's some piece of hardware in there. Um, so if we just sort of take it as, as, as viable that we can now identify somebody, I think the next question is sort of around authorization and authentication, right? So we've said, we know who you are, but what does that mean in terms of what you can do, right? Exactly, because now that authentication service or system um, is where the policies around whether this person has a legitimate reason to be making a query against this financial system or a database, and, that po and that's determined now by policies. So you have to have a place to store all those policies. And what was actually kind of remarkable about Google's approach is that they said they're going to 
centralize that whole system, logically right. centralized. It's spread over lots of servers. Right. But that when you when an employee leaves because they may have been fired or a new employee comes in, they can be granted the access to all of the systems that they need to and cut off from anything else that they don't need to. Right. That puts a lot of now burden on that point that connects to an application. And therefore, we have to watch how complex we make this because then we're making the developer's job much more, much oh, harder. Absolutely. So, I mean, we talk about this as a human, right? So a, a user can have a password in their head and they can use that, right? In the in the machine world, that's often a token that we grant somebody. And managing secrets and, and making sure that your tokens are still secret across the platform, much like your identity is controlled, is another, I mean, that, that's a whole nother ball of wax in a way, but it ties into supporting, it's supporting infrastructure for this, right? Secrets management, identity management, um, like the identity services are really critical to people being able to make use of cloud. Uh, and we see all the cloud providers now have their own identity tools, as well as there are third party software as a service type identity services, like uh, Okta, I think is the most popular at the, at the moment for, for that kind of kind of tooling. But you're right. So we, we've defined how we can do this for, for users. There are models like token-based models that can provide the identity and at least the, the, the concept of who is this application that wants to talk into this infrastructure. But everybody's writing in different languages, right? Now, I, I mean, I thought I thought Rust was the new language and apparently Rust is now old, right? <laughs> Rust is ancient. Well, right. I mean, yeah, some right. people may still use that, but now we're, I can't even remember the, Julia and uh, exactly <laughs> all these all these new languages come along. Each one of those would have the same need to be able to manage through the same authentication process. How do you validate that it's a, that same device? All of that sort of stuff. And I think your point here is, you know, there are other tools, namely proxies, that we can actually start to look at that mm -hmm. can help implement the identity and authorization component of of the zero trust model. Exactly right, right. because. Particularly then when you look at, you have got legacy systems, systems that were designed may still be running, uh, that were, haven't been changed in 10 years. And yet you, and you don't want to have to have system administrators go in and, and put in new logins and passwords for every user into those old systems. So we need it, you know, it, I'm reminded that in computer science, we often solve a problem by adding another layer of indirection. <laughs> <laughs> and, <Right. laughs> and that makes things much easier. So I think that what we're seeing today is the use of, 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 of things, which are these proxy servers, something that sits in front of every application. So applications themselves are never accessed directly. They yeah. need to be accessed through a system, through a proxy server or something uh, that can check the credentials and make sure then that the person has the appropriate rights and privileges to, in order to come into that application. And then the application can do their own. They may have a whole nother level at the application level. If it's a database, generally have their own trust within the database. But right. the front ending that stops, keeps the bad actors out and they don't even have a chance to now start to attack your databases. Yeah, and if, if, you're, if you're using something like the containerized environments, like a Kubernetes management layer, or even just a container management system where you can redirect the network traffic, right? That's, to me, it comes back to that, that, that uh, perimeter that we were talking about to begin with, right? The perimeter is now at the application component, whether it's containerized or like yep. you said, it's, it's, a, it's an older Windows machine running a, a piece of software that's, that's maybe a little bit long in the tooth, but is still core to business. I mean, 
every customer I've ever talked to is like, well, yeah, we want to do all this new fancy, you know, cloud is the future. Oh, yeah, isn't it great? And then they say, oh, yeah, and we have 14,000 machines over there that we can't touch, you know, because the developer who wrote some library is long gone and we don't know how to fix it. Exactly right. <laughs> so how do you address it for that? So the, the idea of a proxy in front, of course, it does add a layer of management overhead, right? So now I have to make mm -hmm. sure that the proxy is authenticated and can provide authorization. I mean, the, the whole TLS world, you know, the, the SSL, uh, you know, right. HTTPS uh, service environment really helps because so many applications over the last 15 to 20 years have transitioned to that, that HTTP-based method of communication, right? Even if it's not necessarily a RESTful interface or something else, it is still mm -hmm. using that and it's using TLS as its, as its security protocol inbound. But now there's the inverse of that, right? Which is the mutual TLS. So now I can authenticate that client, which is the gap I think that was, was missing for a lot of these sorts of services. But again, as we were talking about, increasing the developer's burden by saying, oh, you now have to implement a mutual TLS service, map that back into your application, uh, adds, adds this overhead. So if we can do that in a proxy, that's great, but the proxy still also now needs to be managed, right? And that's- Exactly right. But that's where, and, and also now it allows you to, Sort of readily use cloud-based resources as well as your own data centers resources because you actually have a a system a network of these of these proxies uh, that are sitting in front of all of your your applications and services whether they be in the cloud or whether they be in your data center and that gives you the freedom to use automation to do this in a consistent way for for everybody and it offloads all the responsibilities from the from the developer the developers, because that's probably one of the weakest links, is that a new service comes on, it may or may not be going into production, but it goes out into a production environment. And you formerly had to have security uh, personnel look over all of those new applications, and you still oh, yeah. want to do a fair amount of that. But now by having a proxy in front of it that's managed independently of the application, you can ensure that that proxy is doing the correct uh, authentication services that needs to. Yeah, and there are actually there are actually two proxies that we're starting to see here that that fit into this, right? One is the service mesh proxy, uh, which I do want to touch on at least a little bit in this conversation, even though mm -hmm. this is probably that's probably oh, a whole, whole other thing. On to <laughs> but the, yeah, but there's also the API gateway, right? And so for new applications, you can actually do this boundary, and you can set this boundary up at the API gateway layer. So you can say, yes, I'm going to have one device or one service that provides this again, it's like the mega proxy. So it sort of centralizes the, the automation in that case. Um, and, and that's that's one approach and that gives you then, that's a, the new perimeter, right? That's like the new web perimeter is the API gateway now. Uh, exactly. And we're seeing this, I mean, you know, if you get into the Kubernetes space, you have to have an API gateway to get into the Kubernetes environment to connect the outside world mm -hmm. into your application space anyway. So it's, it's, it's effectively been forced on a lot of developers yeah. But again, to that same management perspective, right? I can automate this. I can define the fact that, yes, I need this particular uh, HTTP path. This URI is going to connect to a piece of my application. And I have a lot of control now over what that is. When I add on top of that, that identity and authorization layer becomes really, really powerful. Um, right. and, and most importantly, we're now talking about it as identity that's represented by certificates, and, and and other identifiers rather than IP address. Yeah. In the in the previous world of VPNs and firewalls, there was always IP addresses, 
And right. that we know is not sufficient anymore. So now it's really the identity that becomes important. And you you need to have now your identity management system taking care of that and communicating to all of the proxies that are set up there, these, these virtual software-based firewalls, so to speak. Yeah. But they're based upon identity rather than just an IP address. And well, they, they may have lots more than just that. It may also be whether the machine is trusted. Yeah. I mean, can you have a laptop that is a corporate laptop that you gave to an employee and that can be identified that can have a root of trust on it? So it's many, many factors that can go into this identity. Well, and, and the, the additional component is that once I've put a proxy in place, once I've put a, a tool, like, again, even a service that gets downloaded onto the local machine as a part of a, a web applet um, that's, that's running in a secured component of your web browser, now suddenly that can actually do things like key rotation. So that, that token that we talked about briefly as the right. machine password, that token could be rotated automatically. The end user has already authenticated. The token gets rotated. So if somebody steals that token, it's only good for a very short period of time. In some cases, I've seen tokens that last just seconds, basically on a almost per mm -hmm. transaction basis. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. a little on the extreme side, but it can be mm -hmm. done. And I think the key point there is automation is the thing that drives all of this. Uh, much like uh, I think our previous episode, we had talked about how really cloud is all about automation. In this case, I think it's even more critical that all of these things are automated. We can automatically inject these proxies in front of our services. So if you spin up a, a new service, even a new old service, if you spin that old service up manually, yes, you manually have to make sure that you've enabled the proxy to tie it in, connect exactly. it to whatever services. But if we're automating that using state-driven protocols like classic Ansible or Puppet sorts of things, you know, even even in the older school systems, we can still get the same kind of enforcement, the same kind of zero trust capability. Without burdening the developer, That's the application the developer yeah. should not have to be a security expert. Yeah. The application developer should be worried about the user experience and and the scale scalability of their code or their cluster. Those are the concerns of the application developer and the site reliability engineers. But then yeah. it's the management system that puts them behind these protected resources, which are basically uh, having these proxies that do authentication and make sure that uh, the the entity that is coming into that service now is known and has permissions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the automation key is is key, and you know, the the service mesh is the other the other piece of this puzzle. So we talked about API gateways just briefly, um, but service mesh is the other piece of that, and this works potentially. You know, you had mentioned, hey, you know, you spin up a new service in the cloud and it presents potentially a, a web style interface or HTTP interface, maybe through an API gateway, or maybe it directly mm -hmm. is the API gateway itself, which is, I think, for a startup mm -hmm. application, the more likely scenario. I just spun up a Python Flask app. It's, it's a web server. Right. It can present itself. Right. It doesn't need anything else. Um, but if I can auto-inject a proxy in front of that, and if that auto-injected proxy is also automatically being configured, and this is, I think, the really the realm of the service mesh. So you, you'd mentioned Beyond Core. Um, right. And I think right. a core piece of that tooling by Google was Istio, which is an open source mm -hmm. cloud native compute foundation tooling around managing all these little proxies that potentially live not only within one domain. Right? The, the first place I saw service mesh was inside of a single Kubernetes cluster. Right, because people were talking about, oh, I need to tie all my microservices together. But now we're starting to see that expand beyond, right? Yeah. So I, I, I think it's interesting sort of development in the last couple of years, as we've seen the, you know, 
division of labor in terms of, of deploying a service, particularly if it's a public facing service, we need to be able to manage the, the scalability of the, of the infrastructure behind it, how many servers, virtual machines may be spun up. We need to be able to handle the security. We may be able, we may have to be able to, to redirect traffic because you need to balance load. All of those things are no longer in the province of a application developer. They really are in terms of a, of a system developer who's developing the automation that allows these processes to do all these functions, getting, letting the application developer again, focus on the application, making that the very best while these other system properties are managed independently. Yeah, I mean, I think this 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 division between, you know, the application developer who needs to focus on an increasingly complex application and the business logic and the, the real value to the company, right? The features that are being demanded by their customers, the features are not, oh, give me identity management and, and auto authentication and, and all that, right? Um, they, they usually want, you know, something that drives their business forward <laughs> instead. Um, but being able to automate the injection of this automated, you know, well, automatic security protocol, right? So this whole idea of zero trust, um, allowing uh, access. I mean, the, some of the the new style VPNs, which are effectively zero trust VPNs that are out there, um, are also pretty amazing because they use that same thing. I'm going to stand up effectively a proxy that's going to redirect network traffic locally through a tunnel to a remote location, also potentially through a tunnel endpoint to get access to services, but you can tie this directly into a service mesh as well. And suddenly your VPN model, I logged into the VPN, I'm connected. I have access to a whole set of resources that are using that same authentication mechanism, the same identity mechanism uh, for driving. So it suddenly becomes, right. becomes really, really important right. uh, and really powerful. And um, of course you still need to have your security team examining all of that. Right. Uh, I think that that will always be true. Um, and you also have to have people who are enforcing policy and looking at those policies and keeping those policies up to date. It's no longer the network engineer who's logging into a firewall and changing firewall rules. It's right. now somebody really approaching it at the abstract level of who has permission to see what resource. And, right. and, able, and it might be down to the level of the individual, but you might say a group has has permissions to this. And just because somebody has a senior executive title doesn't mean that person should have rights to get into a particular <laughs> service. As a matter of fact, it's usually dangerous if you do that. Well, and, and often, you know, the, the old methodology of, hey, let's get somebody to manage the firewall. Now there's a human being that has access to and can make a mistake, right? right. Uh, I mean, that's that's really, that's the other sort of part of this, the automation and automating that that access control and basically removing the manual firewall configuration and defining it as policy. Yes, you have to have somebody review what policies you're compiling, right? Because that's going to be key. That's going to drive right. a lot of this. You have to review who has access based on those policies that you're creating. To your point, that's your SecOps team. And, and especially mm -hmm. now it's DevSecOps. So hopefully even that's being mostly automated. At least you're doing some, some validation checks automatically on changes that are being proposed but you're managing by policy, you're not managing by change of individual code lines, right? right? right. And you're no longer managing by IP address, right? I think I think one of the things that, that uh, you know, we've both seen in the past is, oh, I've got this whole host table because it's these IP addresses that I wanna get to it. I wanna use a name, but I don't have a name system, right. domain <laughs> name system. I don't, <laughs> I don't have a domain name system set up for, for within my environment. So I'm gonna create this point to point policy model where it says, if I know this host name, 
or more importantly, this IP address, I can get access to a service. We know that's a failure failure mode, but that's how firewalls are managed is by IP address or IP address yep. range. Yep. Right? So you're doing policy at the IP address range rather than policy at the Which again, yeah, that is trying to protect the network. Yeah. And, yeah. and or to use the network as protecting your resources. And we right. know that just really is, is not, not the way anymore. Yeah. Well, as, as, we've, as we've discussed, right, so there are all these other tools. Uh, I definitely want to get deeper into service mesh because that's not just useful for the zero trust component, but can also be used for all kinds of developer acceleration and, and feature enhancements to, with, within that environment. I'd love to talk to you more about that. Exactly. Um, yeah. But, you know, we're, we're, we're yeah. in a sense we're sort of out of time for today. Yeah. So, um, hey, look, uh, again, Thank you for your time and, and reviewing sure. some of these these ideas. Um, you can always find us, you know, the the the, the, the listener. Thank you for listening. Uh, but you can always find us on your late, your favorite podcast channel. Um, you can also come check us out on our website, uh, kumul.us. That's Cumulus, um, or hit us up on social. We're Cumulus Tech on uh, Twitter uh, and LinkedIn. Um, I'm R Starmer, and uh, Lou is Lou and Tucker. I'm Lou Tucker. Uh, yeah, so easy, easy to find us. Um, obviously, we'll post all this information on our show notes. So until next time, this is Robert Starmer. Great to see you again. Lou Tucker here.